Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. Hello everyone, John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we're welcoming David Howard Thornton to the show. David is an actor, a voice actor, uh, does a little bit of everything. Um, but for me, I'm glad he's here because he portrayed Art the Clown uh, from Terrifier, which is one of the most underrated, awesome horror movies out there today. Uh, and soon to be coming out with Terrifier 2, which hopefully we can talk about. Uh, but uh, David, it's great to have you on here. Ah, thank ah, you, man. Thank great you, man. To be great here, to be as here well. as well. <laughs> so I know, obviously, in your world with the entertainment side, the, the pandemic and stuff affected stuff. But mm-hmm. I've noticed as the conventions open up, which are amazing gatherings of celebrities and all these fans that appreciate the works of these celebrities, it's you seem to be having a ball out there. And so your first convention <laughs> out there after the pandemic. How much of a relief, how much of excitement was that for you? Because seeing people in your costumes or just having a great time. Oh, it's been great. I, I was so glad to finally go back to conventions again last summer. I was, it was, that was such a relief. As soon as I, I got vaccinated, I was like, okay, I'm ready. Because <laughs> I, I missed that for like a year of my life. I wasn't able to do anything like that. And it's just like, especially, you know, with Terrifier 2 coming out, so it's a good way for us to just get the, the word out there. So being able to be out there and, with the fans and everything. So it's a great way just to, you know, to like, you know, publicize the movie and also just, you know, have fun. <laughs> it's just, I've missed all that kind of human contact during all this craziness. I'm, I'm just so glad it's basically over now. Hopefully, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, if there's not a world war coming. Uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> one of the things I love the fact is like, at what point did you realize that Art the Clown, people would start dressing up as him? Like, when did you know? Because it seems like, especially the horror genre, there's always these attempts to create these new characters or stories or lore. And there's a lot of failures out there. And I love the failures too. But it seemed like Terrifier hit the perfect blend of throwback to like the the comedy horror, like Child's Play or Vetmore and Elm Street with the gore and the side comments. But for you, the moment this hit home to you, like, man, we're making a sequel, like people are dressed up, like what was that like for you? Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was like at our very first convention we did um, back in 2018, shortly after the movie came out, we actually had people already cosplaying as art then and, there are already vendors that had some kind of artwork and stuff like that. They were selling of art too. And I was like, this is insane. I mean, we hadn't even released on Netflix at that point. So I was like, this is, this is crazy. I think we have something here. It's we, we didn't really realize that. And then, you know, of course Netflix happened and that really just made us explode even that much more. So it's been, it's been a great, great ride so far. And I, and it's still sinking in. I'm like, I, I want, I just, you know, we get like almost daily people get tattoos and stuff like that, which is insane to me. It's like, you're going to have my face on your body for the rest of your life. <laughs> Are you sure you want that? <laughs> you must really right. like this character then, you know? <laughs> it's for you though, to stand next to say Kate Hodder or CJ Graham or Robin Englund, and you joined the Parthion of these type of characters 
now you're up there too. And it's like, again, to have, be part of a character that's so unique, that's very different, what's out there. It's, it's, man, it's got to be so cool for you. It's been pretty awesome. It's that's been pretty surreal, especially you know being able to make friends with those guys that you name. It's just like that's that's something I never imagined in all my life I would ever experience. You know, it's like yeah, I'm like first name basis with like you know CJ and Kane and Bill Mosley and all those guys. I mean they because we see each other at conventions all the time, so we've kind of gotten to be friends and stuff like that through all this. And it's just like that mutual respect that you see, you know, among the the horror actors as well. It's like that's. One of the things I was a little bit worried about when we first came into this, I, I, I was afraid they're all going to be looking down their noses at, you know, us going like, who, who the heck did these like low independent, you know, low budget independent film guys think they are and stuff like that. But it's the opposite. They were just very welcoming. It's like, yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. You know, is uh, that's that's been pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. It seems like that way is, I mean, Kid Harns, he kind of did that Victor Crowley hatchet series, which is the same type of uh, low budget, high production value. It's very interesting to see you kind of almost spearheaded that transition into creating really awesome movies and characters with a limited budget, but the fans seem so receptive to it. It It is really cool. Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's, we, we made Terrifier 1 on like less than like, $50,000 $50,000 and that's unheard of in this day and age where you, you can actually have a successful movie with that kind of budget. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, I, I don't even think they made the first um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre back in the seventies for that budget. So it's just like, they, they had a bigger budget than we did. So and that's even not even counting for inflation. So like, that's insane. So it just shows the, the talent of the crew and the cast that we had and the, the love that we had for this, that you know, we were able to accomplish what we did. For you, the conventions on the networking side, whether it's a makeup artist or a director or another actor, is it conducive environment where you guys are like, man, I'd love to do a movie with you or, or I know you just recently posted a picture with you and Greg, uh, the, the iconic uh, award-winning uh, makeup artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you meet people like that, you build those relationships, like you said, it's got to be very rewarding that not only do they appreciate my work, but they want to do something with me or vice versa. Yeah. It's got to be super unique. Oh, that, that has been pretty cool. You know, it's just like, I, you know, it's like we, we have people that want to be involved in the Terrifier movies that are part of the, you know, the, the horror pantheon of gods, as I would say, which is pretty, pretty sweet. We're just like, yeah, we would love you to be in it, but we don't have a part that is necessarily right for you right now. That's worthy of you. It's like, that, that's pretty cool. And, and because of this, I've been able to work on another project called Stream with a lot of the Terrifier 2 team, um, Buzz and Lynn guys are producing and oh, directing nice. that one. And we have a lot of the, the horror alumni in this. I mean, we have like, you know, Dee Wallace, Jeffrey Combs, Daniel Harris, uh, Felissa Rose, Dave Sheridan, Tony Todd, Terry Alexander, et cetera. Oh, so wow. it's just, it's been mind blowing, you know, and I, you know, this, this is crazy. I, like these, there's the people I grew up watching in movies. Now I get to actually work with them. They're my colleagues now, which is unbelievable. <laughs> now, hearing you talk, it, obviously you're very prolific in the voice acting too. But to play Art, he's a silent character. Yeah. For getting into that role, the slapstick behavior of it, like, what was your basis of that character? The physical comedy, like, are you? For me, it plays like a. 
it's like a silent it's a silent film with like a slasher it's it's very unique how you're able to without opening your voice once create this character that you know what he's thinking or saying but he doesn't say it just based on his action so how much fun was it for you to kind of do that Oh yeah, it, it, that was a lot of fun. I, I th- also think it's just ironic. Yeah, it's like that's what I do. Right. It's like I do over two hundred <laughs> character voices, and this is what I'm known for is being silent. So I'm like, go figure. But it, it's been a lot of fun because I, I I had a lifelong love of silent comedy. I, I am my parents and grandparents gave me a great education on those films back in the day, and like my aunt gifted me this great gift back in the day where um. She gave me a box set of the Mr. Bean videos. And oh. that's right when I started getting into acting back when I was a teenager. And so I would just watch those over and over and over and over and over and over. And that's how I learned. I was like, I love that style of comedy. And that's what I wanted to bring to art, you know, because so Mike Gianelli, the original art, did a little bit of that. But I wanted to bring more of that aspect of the character to him because I think that would separate him more from all these other horror icons that are out there is like that that he has that kind of you know har- evil harpo marks type of nature to him which is yes. kind of fun <laughs> it was also interesting too about the character is the color scheme it's very simple black and white but how it was done with the face makeup and just the actual his actual costume so simple yet so effective and nothing out there like that it, it's and i love the color like the just position of the white with the blood from all the victims and the violence of the movie. It's, it kind of created this very surreal, like visual aspect of this character. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it showed the blood shows up so much better because of it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just see him like progressively get bloodier and bloodier throughout the whole entire film, which I love. It's just like, so it, it gets very cold and sticky, but that's, that's all, you know, Damien's, uh, idea right there he he designed art to be the antithesis of pennywise he he was the polar opposite of pennywise well you know pennywise has hair artist bald pennywise is loud and boisterous and cracks jokes artist completely silent you know pennywise is very colorful artist black and white i i love that it's crazy too because when you look at people have a, a, a really big fear of clowns um and it's always funny to see people react to circus clowns or carnival clowns but in terms of horror outside of pennywise of it or like killer clowns of outer space there hasn't been a clown since or before or after sets art that's kind of been out there where it's like yeah. this is a character that people resonate with and now sure there's been other characters with cloud makeup on and masks but I don't, it, it almost seemed like it was okay to be afraid of clouds when you look at art, but to mm-hmm. appreciate that you kind of almost sympathize with him. You don't know why he's doing what he's doing. I mean, you have, <laughs> he's sick, sick and sadistic, but why, like you, you, you answer a lot more like questions instead of without even saying much. And it's just, it's super, it is very surreal that art can be up there next to Pennywise or the killer clouds of our space yeah. and just be in his own little section of a area that people are generally terrified of. Yeah, it's it's that's what I love about the character. It's just like he, he's he's kind of like that that villainy root for, which is you know, and it's not like he's like a wily e. coyote type of villain where he's like he just wants to eat or something like that. It's like art's very evil. He's you know evil incarnate. He's deprived. He's horrible, horrible, horrible character. It's just like. <laughs> 
and yet you you're drawn to him because he has that charisma about him that's it's, it's kind of like right. how people are just kind of drawn to the devil you know it's just like yeah he's the devil but i'm like oh my god he's fun to watch i, I gotta see what he's gonna do next oh my god i oh my god he's sawing that girl in half oh god god but i still want to watch <laughs> it's it's very it's very interesting it's, and i think it's that the um, part of what adds to his charm is that little bit of that humor that he has and that very dark sense of humor and i that's what I think that's why people loved, you know, Freddy Krueger and like Chucky and those kind of characters so much too. It's just like that that dark sense of humor. It's just it's like you, you're seeing them do these horrible, horrible things, but they're kind of funny, entertaining at the same time. It's like God, that that it's kind of it makes you kind of question yourself, like why am I enjoying this? <laughs> right. It, it it is interesting because one minute you're laughing and then you you kind of turn your head and going, what the hell is this? Like yeah. I don't. How am I laughing? <laughs> And then here I am just kind of, oh, God, you are sawing this person in half. Yeah. That particular stunt I thought was such a good throwback. And you mentioned uh, Robert England and the bathtub scene in Nightmare on Elm Street where super violent, blood everywhere. But the gag, the actual gag itself is so funny and creative. And so mm -hmm. when it comes to a scene like that and you see the script or even going back a little bit further, when you see the script for art, are these type of set pieces in the original script or is this something you and David are like, you know what, maybe art can do this or that? A lot of that was actually in the script, uh, especially like the hacksaw scene. That was in the script verbatim basically. And it's that was one of those things where I read it and I was like, <laughs> okay, wow, this is gory as hell, but they're not gonna show this. This is just for our benefit to know what's going on. And you no, know, Damien's like, oh, no, no, we're going to show all of that. I'm like, really? Oh, my God. Yeah, this is going to get people talking. This Because, you know, so much horror now shies away from that kind of stuff. They're too worried about offending people. And you know, I'm like, that's that's what you're, you should be doing. Is like horror is supposed to push the envelope of what is accept, uh, acceptable. And, you know, it's like. Because in a, in a way, it's turning a mirror on society in itself. It's like you know, showing our dark nature, and you know we're confronting that. And so it's it's kind of good we kind of show that kind of stuff. It's horrible as it is. <laughs> Correct. The there's another scene too where it's almost like the very Buffalo Bill, Silence of Lambs. Uh, again, one of those shockingly like holy crap. You don't have to say a single thing, but it's the most yeah. terrifying thing because you're picturing what he's saying. And it's just, again, it, it, I feel it seems like that really made this movie stand up. It wasn't afraid yeah. to push the boundaries and be different from the traditional R-rated horror movie. Yeah. And it's, it's such a great homage back to the old school slashers, like you said. But again, it's this old little corner where art is this old little like deity just sitting oh, yeah. in the corner doing what he does. And what's funny about that scene, too, that part of that was scripted, part of it wasn't. It's like... Uh... Like the idea that he'd be wearing the body parts and stuff like that while he's chasing Victoria, that was in the script because you know he used that as a way to lure her in, make her think that was her sister. But in the script, it was written that he just wore those over his clown costume. And Dame is like, you know, what's going to sell this more? That he's like, if if she came in and saw those body parts on a clown costume, she's not going to believe it's her sister at first, you know. So it's like, yeah, I, I think, and uh, he is also, I think it'll just even be more sick and depraved of him to actually strip off his clothes and wear someone else's body parts on top of his own naked body. 
And so we, we right. added that in like two days before we filmed. Damien, it's like, I got this idea. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I really want people, you know, my first time being on screen, people seeing my naked butt and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, Catherine, who played Dawn, it was like really, you know, exposing herself in a very vulnerable state for this kill scene. And she's willing to do that. So, you know, I'll do it too, just for the sake of things, because yeah, that is a lot more sick and depraved. And so we did that. And then we shot two different versions of the scene too. One where I'm what you see and another one where I'm using the baby doll instead as, as to help me find Victoria. So the baby doll's like talking to me. I'm doing a lot of puppeteering with the baby doll. So it, we did two different takes on it, both really disturbing in their own way. So it, it was that was a lot of fun. Is there any part of art, the character, that kind of resonates with you or vice versa? Like, is there any aspect of art where it's like, this is something David would do? I mean, obviously take out the violence and all the crazy yeah. stuff. But oh, yeah. No, that's not me. That art, <laughs> yeah. Is there any nuances that art does that you would do in real life? Oh, God, yeah. I'm, I'm like... The, the dark sense of humor, just the pranks and stuff like that. That's that's who I am. So that's you know, it's, that's what I like about him. It. It's like, yeah, this is this the mis mischievous side. Is that's very much me. I, I like to like scare people. I like to you know, do little pranks here or there. I mean, I, I do that on set even. I, I, I Lauren Lavera who plays Sienna in part two actually has a fear of clowns. <laughs> Perfect. I, I was risking my life too because she's trained in many different forms of martial arts as well and it's like oh boy was i risking myself but uh, i would just sneak up behind her while she was just talking to someone and just stand there and she would turn around and i'm like right in her face and she just ah! <laughs> I, I i did that to her and also one of our other uh female co-stars on the first day that i was on set i just stood outside of the window to the, the dressing room there was a window there so i could just stare in and they're just chatting and I'm just standing there in the dark and I just have my face in the window just waiting for them to turn around and see me. And so they do and it scared the crap out of them. I was like, hey, welcome to Terrifier 2. <laughs> <laughs> How has your preparation been for portraying art change from the first movie into the second movie? Was there any differences or was it the, the, the positive baggage where you're like, okay, now we've established art. Where do we take this further? Yeah, I, I'd say it's more the latter. I'm like, it's, you know the first one i was still kind of figuring the character out for myself too because you know I, I was having to take over from what mike Gianelli did originally with it so I was, I was trying to you know stay true to what he had done but also add my own thing to it and i and i figured that out as we were going along and that's one of those things that damien and i were discussing the whole entire time too it's just like you know how do i make this mine but also still keep it true to what came before and you know so that's so for part two, you know, we both knew more about where to go with the character and everything like that. So we were a lot more confident this time. So it was a lot easier in that regard playing art this time around. I wasn't having to discover the character this time. I was actually just taking the character further with things. Because I, I, I looked at him in part two being a lot more confident and arrogant with himself because he came back from the dead. So he's like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. So, hey, I can really have some fun now. So there's a lot more arrogance, I would say, to Art this time around when it comes to, like, his recklessness. He's like, he's he goes further this time. He's like, okay, let's see how far I can really go with things. It, when it comes to other roles you do in the future as well, 
a character like R is so, I think it's going to be code good. The history will tell that this is such a prolific, awesome horror character. Will that baggage ever be tough? And this could be good or bad baggage, be tough to shake in other roles where it's like, oh, that's the guy, from, that's David from Terrifier. Like he can't, like, does that ever hurt you too that you've played this certain character so well? I mean, it could, it definitely could, but that's one of those things like I'm okay with because I'm like, I've gotten to play uh, an icon now, I guess I can say that, but it's just like, yeah, that's something so many actors would give their, you know, teeth for Correct. Like, to be able to play a character like, so I, I consider myself to be very fortunate, but at the same time, I, I'm, I'm lucky in a way because you don't see my actual face as art. That's all makeup. So that's, that's one of those scenes where I can play other characters. I, I think Doug Jones has walked that line very yes. well because he he is that character guy, but he's played so many different characters. And he's, people don't even know who Doug Jones is with, without realizing they actually do know who Doug Jones is. And that's yeah. what's been brilliant about his career path. And that's kind of the, 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 the trajectory I would like to go on to. It's like, I, I like that because he, he also has his own anonymity in his own personal life because yes. of that. It's really nice. He doesn't have to have the, the paparazzi hounding him all the time, you know, digging the dumpsters, seeing what he ate at a restaurant and selling it on eBay type of stuff going on. He's so I'm like, yeah. And, and he's able to play so many cool and right. diverse fun characters as well. So it's like, so I, I'd be fine with that. I'm totally fine just being the character guy for the rest of my life. Like I, I think I got more longevity that way instead of being like you know the, the Tom Cruise type of leading males like that. Well, the, I think the, those people, the character actors, serve such a great. Per- they they elevate every project they're in TV, movies, theater, whatever. If they could play that character, and I guess one of my questions, the actual makeup itself is again very simple, but. It's for me. It's interesting. We'll talk about this in a second. Here, you also played the Joker uh, in the YouTube series with Nightwing Escalation, and again, playing a clown prince. I guess it's, again, uh, yeah. <laughs> how much makeup? Like the the makeup. It seems like just looking at you now and watching you do other interviews and other movies and stuff, your face comes through the character of art. So, like, how much are you? Is this going to change in the second world? You're going to keep the same type of thing? Because I love the idea that. Yeah, it's you behind there, but the makeup is done so well that it still lets you do your type of face and your yeah. aneurysm and stuff like that. Yeah, it's the same makeup in part two. Same makeup. It's, yeah. So I, I think the only real difference is there's a difference that most people don't notice until I point it out is my eye color because most of Terrifier 1, I have black contacts in until near the end of the film. I also I have my green eyes and then I have green eyes throughout part two as well because we decided to keep that continuity in it and that all comes down to like uh, i just had a tear on my contacts one night and we didn't have a backup pair that worked and we just couldn't cancel the, sh- the rest of filming that night so we're like you know what maybe people notice maybe they won't but we'll we'll just for continuity reasons keep it the same after this every scene we do after this point i'm gonna have my green eyes and i, I always like to say i had um black contact lenses in my eyes until the uh, exterminator knocked me out and that knocked out my contact lenses. So I, <laughs> I like that. The, for it come again to this, this character, when the film wraps the first one, how are you, you, Davey, the cast, like 
you're probably sitting there going, okay, what's next? Like, how are people going to be receptive to this? How do you kind of wait that time out? When the first reactions come in, are you kind of like, oh, man, okay, phew, I, I, we're good here. We didn't yeah. desecrate the horror franchise or whatever. We we created something really unique here. Yeah, we there definitely was that, you know, that worry because you know, we, we hadn't also we had no idea how people would respond to this because we were a small very small low budget independent film so like okay maybe a few people will see this but it, it and i was worried i was hoping like you know the fans weren't going to be pissed off at my portrayal of art because i i know how i am as a, a fanboy myself when other actors come in for a character that someone else has played before them really well and you're like Oh God, I'm going to tear this person apart because I don't like what they're doing here, 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 here. And so I was afraid that was going to happen. But uh, the reactions were pretty positive. Of course, there were some negative reactions. You know, there were some people, oh, it's a light on plot and all that kind of stuff. It was like, yeah, or so, so were most, you know, slashers that came out. And I'm like, what's the plot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre? (laughs) People just stumble upon this house of cannibals and they try to live. That's Right. That's, that's basically, you know, it's like I, I think people are so used to elevated horror this day and age for, you know, it's like that whole, you know, the, 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 the Jordan Peele type of, you know. That, a a that horror could just be a guy with a knife or a, a yeah. cloud terrorizing. You don't have to know why he's doing it. The guy, so yeah. to your point, it's refreshing. I love highbrow uh, horror and science fiction movies. I think they're great. But the. I find more joy in the straightforward. I'm not watching this for a plot. I need to see a creative character that can resonate with you, good or bad, awesome kills, and yeah. victims that are playing. They're playing a part. I think everything about Terrifier is just so awesome in that, at, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, it's, to me. It's just a giant cat and mouse game, and I love that kind of stuff. Sometimes I just want to watch that. But it's like also, people don't realize also there's a different layer to Terrifier, and it's it. it it wasn't, you know, a, a, a direct reference or anything like that. I don't even think Damien even considered it, but it was like, it kind of mirrors one of the most beloved graphic novels in a lot of ways. The Killing Joke is that whole premise of yeah. how one person can have a, a very, very bad day and it reduces them to, you know, being an, an insane homicidal killer, a psychopath. Yeah. And that's re- really what it is. The whole movie is a flashback to what made Victoria go crazy and kill this, you know, newscaster. She had a very bad day. <laughs> so to kind of change up, when you go into portraying the actual Joker himself in the mm-hmm. YouTube series, uh, Nightwing Escalation, you, to, again, another character that has this incredible uh, history of iconic performances from Jack Nicholson to Heath Ledger to uh, who I mean whoever Mark Hamill portraying yeah, the voice course. all these characters now you do your own thing and again it's maybe it's you but you portray him differently than all of them mm-hmm. but is there a fear for you to portray a character that people are so familiar with oh god especially Joker I mean I he's he's my favorite villain of all time so I'm very guarded about his portrayal how other people portray him and I get I've never been happy with the, like a lot of the cinematic portrayals of him, live action portrayals. It's like, it's like, I mean, like I, I loved Heath Ledger's character, like what he brought that he went totally just as an actor, he lost himself in the role, but that was not the Joker of the comic book. And you know, like 
Jack Nicholson was still just Jack Nicholson. He didn't lose himself into the character right. in that way. It's like Jared Leto. Well, you know, <laughs> that's all I have to say yeah, about that. That, that was yeah. just, that was a yes. that was that was just a total bastardization of the character. And so, but I, I always in my head have seen Mark Hamill as being who the Joker is. His voice. He he understands that character. He 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 gets the viciousness of the character. The, the the just the the depravity of the character but he also gets the the humor of the character very well as well. And, and and the the other subtle nuances to him the whole you know that the whole balance between him and batman the, the equilibrium between the two of them he understands that relationship that drive that he has to you know you know break batman but also he needs him in his right. life is I love Mark understands the character and he's, and he's, he's been lucky because he's been able to play the character for almost 30 years now in some shape or form. And so when I portrayed Joker, that's who I heavily based him on was Mark's portrayal. Cause to me, not having a little bit of Hamillisms in Joker, it's not like hearing, Bugs Bunny with a Bronx accent. It's just like, it doesn't seem right. It's just like, Mark is the definitive version of the character in my opinion. And so I wanted to bring some of that to him, but also do my own thing with it as well. And so I, I kind of like also took a lot from Cesar Romero because I thought he did a great job yes. with the character as well because he, he he was very true to the character at that time of the comic books. I, I would say Cesar Romero yes. is the best live action version of Joker. He, at when it, in terms of where the character was in the comics at the time. You mentioned the killing joke and that the graphic novel is so amazing. It's violent, mm -hmm. visceral, but it, I, I think the problem with, with Hollywood is that because the Joker is so iconic that mm -hmm. the idea of making a true R rated Joker movie, yeah. they're thinking more money over uh, more money over sense. I would think because it is such a, Every kid in Halloween, you see a three-year-old kid in Halloween trick-or-treat dressed as Joker, guy or girl, or Harley Quinn next to him. And so to do that role, it's going to take that person to just, hey, we're making this Joker movie the way it should be made. Yeah. Like this violent, visceral, but also this innocence in why he acts the way he does. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's something I would love to do with him is really do a dark, bloody version of Joker. And it's like, especially... um. The, the, the version I would love to do is because I, I just love the story they told with it was the, the, the whole uh, story arc of the death of the family, not death in the family where yes. he killed Robin, but the other one where it's the version where, you know, you, you've seen it where he had sliced off his face and had stapled it back on. And but it's that's not the whole part of it. It's just it's the whole story where he kidnapped the whole entire bat family because he saw them as weakening batman that he he was not who he used to be and it's like no 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 you need to be who you were because i need you these people make you weak screw them they need to be out of your life and it i i love that whole story arc because it really delves deep into that relationship between the two characters how they are you know the same a different side of the same coin in a lot of ways in terms of the voice acting, how do you prepare? Like, when you get a character, 
if you're voice acting the Joker, are you moving around in that room doing the voice, or is this something where you can kind of separate the voice part to the physical acting, or do they have to be together? Oh, I, I do it together, definitely. It's just I am because I, I I do that with every voiceover role I do. I I have to you know be the character in the room. I I can't just stand there or sit I, I i don't even sit i stand the whole entire time because it just doesn't feel right it, i i have to emote i have to wave my arms around i have to make silly faces because that just helps me become the character as like, i'm still performing even though you're only hearing me i'm doing a whole visual performance as well i just have to be very careful about not hitting the mic stand or anything that makes extra noise because those mics pick up so much so i, I usually have to take off any sh over shirts that i just stay in a t-shirt and just go crazy but I, I i know a lot of great voice actors are the same way i mean mark especially he's Yes. If you watch behind the scenes um, footage of him playing Joker, he's not sitting there and just reading lines. No. He's doing the faces, doing the, the the gestures, everything. He gets into the character, and that adds to that performance. I've had uh, Robert Clotworthy on the show, and he's the voice of Agent Aliens, uh, Code of Curse of Oak Island, Star Commander. And again, like you, it's very, I was just blown away by the fact that, yeah, you you play a character, but you have to get into character. You just can't yeah. roll out of bed and like I have to do what I do for this position or this role. It's it's so fascinating because I, I'm always just kind of blown away by people that are, the confidence to have your voice, I mean, the acting is one thing, but to have your voice be on a video game or a cartoon that, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just really cool that you're able to deal with the critics and the people that, oh, you should have done this or that, but you make it your own. It's just this really cool thing you do. No, it's, it's fun. It's a lot of, it's a lot of hard work too. It's just like, people don't realize it is, it's grueling. Um, I usually leave voiceover sessions just hoarse because I, I <laughs> just for hours, I'm just doing stuff like that. And it's like, especially when I have to do like fight scenes, Oh, those are those are hard because just having to do, especially for video games, because you're having to do so many different types of just <laughs> actions. And you don't think of that kind of stuff when you're playing the games, when you're hearing the, the impact sounds of the punches and stuff like that. But, yeah, you have to sit there and do like low impact, medium impact, hard impact or like when you're getting hit low, medium, hard and you're doing different variations of those and different attacks here like it's it's crazy and it's like i, I if you didn't know what was going on and you're just hearing all these uh, uh, all that kind of stuff you're like what's this a porno being made or <laughs> right what is Terrifying going on? Too. oh yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's hard it's i'm i'm usually sweating profusely by the end of those kind of sessions because it's it's because i'm also doing punches and stuff like that too just so i can get that extra I mean, even when i used to take taekwondo back in the day you had to you know while you're doing the punch you had to do the ah! all those kind of sounds too is just it helps with the energy and right that's what it, it's it's we, we look insane doing this kind of stuff but it, it, at least it comes out well <laughs> Well, it's like as a kid, for me growing up as a kid, I'd always play all the video games. And I still do, obviously, but I you you almost take for granted. You're like, oh, the art's there. You see the visual, but you don't realize the the people that are playing these characters from Call of Duty or uh, Dead House or Resident Evil. Like these people are literally being motion captured and talking this whole time, yeah. creating these stories. And it'd be really cool to see like someone filming you 
while it almost have released that video too, where it's like now you see what this movie really looks like behind yeah. the scenes. Oh, what's really cool too is I, I like when I see the behind the scenes of games where they do a lot of the motion capture, like the Uncharted games. Naughty Dog especially does yeah. a lot of mocap work, and like Nolan North, I mean they they have to act out all of these scenes. So there, it's not like a lot of voiceover work where you just stand there and you have a script. They have to have have all this stuff memorized and they have to do all the actions and everything. So they're really capturing their true performances. So I was like, that's, I, I think that's really cool in a lot of ways. It'd be, it'd be really interesting doing, I, I've never done any of the motion capture yet, but I, I, I want to one day just for that experience. Cause it seems like it's a, it's a different art form in itself because you, you're having to wear all these little things all over your body and you look ridiculous, but it comes out looking so much better in a game as opposed to just well, the cool. typical animation they usually do. Because Mortal Kombat, the last couple of releases, have been bringing back iconic characters like Sloan and Rainbow, Terminator, uh, mm-hmm. some of these other famous characters of the franchise have spawned. So maybe one day Terrifier's in there and he's got a hacksaw and he's just, it'd be awesome. Oh man, that would so, be a dream of mine. <laughs> I, I've been like, Ed Bone, man, put me in, man. I want to be DLC, I will gladly come in and do mocap work and everything for art. I would, that would be, God, I would be so happy because I'm a huge Mortal Kombat fan. So, <laughs> love it. So, with acting, the voice acting, you also spent time on theater, Broadway, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll have to get to that, but the idea of you're able to kind of, which medium is your favorite? Or is this something where it's like you, as you get older and you start doing different roles, that you could seamlessly jump back into? maybe off-Broadway or Broadway or movie or television, stuff like that? I, I love them all. They all have their own merits. I mean, voiceover is great because you know, I don't have to worry about what I look like. I don't have to really memorize anything. I can just go in there and play around and everything. But it, of course, it's all just voiceover work. So you, you, you don't, people aren't seeing your actual physical performance. So I, I kind of miss that because I, I love that. Um, film work, I like it because I, I can, um, if I make a mistake, we could just do another take. <laughs> right. that's, that's great. But at the same time with film work, you know, you don't have that whole flow continuity going on. You, you can't keep that whole constant flow of train of thought and character and building the characters you're going through and building the motion as you go through the whole entire production as opposed to as you can on stage where you know you go on that whole journey with the character there so it's it's easy to stay in character that way with film you have to just like okay cut and you sit around and wait for a little while okay rolling and you have to jump right back into the motion and and sometimes you're, you're filming different scenes on different days and you're jumping around so one day you're doing this scene the next day it's a very intense scene you have to go just start off angry and all is so you're not able to build into right. that as you are on stage. And also on stage, you know, you have that instant feedback from the audience. So you know if something's working or not, especially with comedy. It's like, that's always, that was the big adjustment for me doing Terrifier. It was the funny bits in not hearing laughter. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, this is failing spectacularly. Because like silence to a comedian is death. It's just that's the yes. worst thing in the world is just not hearing laughter. And so I'm always hoping as soon as they say cut, I start to hear laughter from the crew or something. I'm like, oh, okay, good. There it is. Okay, that worked. Or, or I just see Damon, he's just grinning from ear to ear. And I'm like, okay, good. That worked. Okay. But because you don't know. And 
and comedy's hard because it's it's all about the timing and so you're a split second off and you know and when you have an audience there you're you're able to feed off that energy and play off of them and each audience reacts differently to different things it's like i've done so many um productions where like one night the audience laughs hysterically hysterically at this bit the next night they're dead silent but they'll laugh hysterically at something else that you never even thought was funny or like this is insane so it's a different show every <laughs> single time so it just is it's that's fun in itself so i i guess in a way i i do prefer stage in a lot of ways but film and voiceover work definitely have their merits as well so i'm like i love it all about whatever it would be, anybody hires me for. <laughs> it would be fascinating to see Art the Cloud or like Terrifiers of Broadway play because then you could get that live reaction to the absurdity. Oh God! And with him, especially, and if they keep you as a, a mute for that role, the re, the comedy is so much more based on timing, and it, it would be a, be a very interesting case study to see who laughs and who doesn't laugh. Oh, doesn't laugh oh my stuff. God! Yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine I'll be doing so much improvisation too because it's, I, I'm right. always when, when I start getting laughs, I, I like to milk things for all they're worth. I, I, it makes me think back when I did uh, 39 Steps. I, I did that show twice, but there's this one scene in it where I, I played like over 30 characters in the show. There's this one scene with these two old Scottish guys that are politicians running a whole political event and stuff like that. And it, it's supposed to be a very not really a short scene, but you know, a short-ish scene. And it ended up being like a 15, 20 minute long scene on nights because like the other guy playing the other clown and I, we played the two clowns on the show. We would just start playing off of each other. And I basically turned my character into a lot of um, Tim Conway's old guy where he's just oh, takes nice. forever to get anywhere because he just shuffles everywhere. And, and I would just milk that for all it's worth just, shuffling across the stage getting to a podium and just taking my time with it and it just the audience just you know loving it they're just laughing hysterically those kind of things and it's like i, I you, you get that little bit of that laugh and so you're like okay let's see how far i can go with it, how much more i can get out of this joke and i, I love those moments so i imagine i'd be doing a lot of that it'd be i almost picture like if uh, almost like Gallagher, the comedian, where everyone in the front row has like the tarps on, you got like the fake blood for your art yes. and all this stuff. It, it'd be, it'd be really unique to that. Uh, that, that, that that's uh, funny so you mentioned go... Gallagher though, because <laughs> I, I I don't know if y'all can see this, but I have this scar on both sides of my arm. Oh yeah, I see that. Back, yep. Yeah, back when I was uh, 15 years old, uh, Gallagher came to my hometown, and. <laughs> He called me on stage to help him do the sledge of matic routine. <laughs> and I was going around and I was hamming it up. I was, it, I was just being you have to. a clown. And I slipped and fell and broke my arm on stage. <laughs> and I had metal plates in my arm for the longest time. So I thought that was funny you mentioned Gallagher. I said, like, yeah, yeah, there's a history there. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, before I let you go, obviously this has been great. I know you mentioned Terrifier 2 coming up, but anything else you could say about that? Uh, any release date information? Uh, hopefully it's around Halloween, which would be yeah. amazing. Uh, but uh, yeah, this has been awesome. If people want to reach out to you, I know you're on Instagram and Facebook and all that, but if they want to, if you have a website, if people want to check out what conventions you're going to, like where can they do all that? 
Yeah. Well, as we're recording it, we don't know the release date. So hopefully by the time this releases, we actually have a release date. Right now we're negotiating with distribution. So hopefully soon we will know a release date. But, you know, our goal is to get it out by Halloween, the latest, because it's a Halloween film. It's that's a perfect time to release it. We we're tired of sitting on this movie. We've been working on it for three years now. And we're ready for the world to see this thing. It's a beast of a film. It's over two hours long. There's no way we could really oh, trim it yeah. down because it's like, yeah, if we, we took out any more, it would kill a lot of big plot points and stuff like that. So it's it's a big, huge, crazy, fun movie. It's I, I think it's going to blow the first film out of the water. I feel like this is our Terminator 2. It's like, uh, that's why I like to call it T2. But it's it's yep. it's great. I can't wait for people to see this. It's oh, it's a fun awesome. film. Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm so stoked. And you know, when it releases, I can finally talk about things, which I'm like, oh, there's so much I've been having to keep quiet for all these years, and it's, it's right. been killing me. So yeah, hopefully by Halloween. Halloween. That's that's the goal. But um, as for where to find me, you can find me on um. I said Netflix almost. <laughs> Hopefully, I put that out in the universe. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram under David Howard Thornton. And I also have a cameo and a memo page as well if you want me to do some kind of shout outs or you know, birthdays and that kind of stuff. Awesome. Well, this has been fun, David. Uh, thank you for your time and uh, good luck with Terrifier 2. And thank you for helping bring Art the Cloud out to the masses. This has been awesome. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on here. It's been great. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the Chop Fit. Over the course of the past year, the Chop Fit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10. For $10 off your chocolate order, it'll change your life. Thank you. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.